me. Robo, any special message for all the kids watching at home? That are alive, you are coming with me. I'd buy that for a dollar. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infinite Worlds podcast. I'm your host, Winston Ward, publisher of Infinite Worlds magazine. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nick the Tooth. All right, dude, here we are. It is uh, August 1st. I think this is from now until uh, the extinction of humanity. This will be classified as... Uh, wildfire season. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw sure. that, you know, you know, coming from the South and living on the Gulf coast and, you know, New Orleans and Florida and dealing with hurricanes forever. I was, and you've dealt with some of that from Georgia. Mm-hmm. I know some of those storms have tracked up there, but I saw the other day that now due to climate change, they're going to start naming heat waves like they do hurricanes. And oh, so, well. <laughs> that, doesn't, that, that doesn't surprise me. Oh my! We're gonna like eventually run out of names for both, and we're gonna have to start using. It'll be like, oh man, it's Heat Wave David and Hurricane David. This is so confusing. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, today we are uh, we are jumping into the future once again, mm-hmm. a very dystopian mm-hmm. future with RoboCop. So it's kind of fitting with uh, climate change and what we're dealing with now. It's kind of an interesting tie-in, but one of the big main themes of RoboCop, which we will definitely delve into considerably once we get the episode started here, is corporate greed. And uh, corporate greed is a big feeder of climate change, Uh. as we all know. Yeah, but you know, you were talking about forest fires and we're actually like in Colorado, we've got kind of a reprieve year like the first couple of years I lived here, it was terrible. We'd wake up in the middle of the night and we'd think the building was on fire because there was so much smoke in the air from a wildfires. Oh my God. That happened a bunch of times and just you couldn't breathe and everything, but it's been sort of wet this year, wet for Colorado standards anyway. By this time last year, we had already had like three or four catastrophic wildfires in the Rocky Mountain area. And uh, this year there haven't been any significant ones so far. I'm knocking on wood here as we speak. We've actually been allowed to have campfires for the first time since I moved here. Oh, wow. Before that, you know, we had to cook only exclusively on our little like pocket stoves and that kind of thing. We went camping a couple of times this summer and, you know, it's been allowed. Wildfires weren't banned, which is really nice. I mean, that doesn't mean it's getting better. Dude. I'm not naive enough to think like, oh, well, it didn't happen this year. I guess the problem is solved. No, my philosophy, I'm sure I've said it on here a million times, but I do think we're in a simulation And I do think we're like just probably 10 million years in the future, just doing the ancestor simulation to watch when humanity basically almost went extinct. I mean, we're probably AI is what we are now. Yeah, we're just AI in like a um, holodeck simulation. Totally. And we're floating through space. Early 21st century human life. (laughs) It, It reminds me of Roy, the video game on Rick and Morty. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you play an entire human being's entire life out. Oh, my wow. gosh. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah. So I so now I'm like, you know, the, the more things heat up and being in Europe now. Yeah, they, they started having uh, wildfires in Europe, too. Isn't that like sort of yeah. starting to be a problem there as well? Australia, Russia, freaking yeah. uh, all throughout Europe, Italy, everywhere. 
everywhere is on fire. The way I look at it is it's my 39th birthday this month. So I've maybe got 40 more years left. I would love Mm. to not die in a wildfire in the next 40 years. Oh, you're going to see the end though. You got just enough time where yeah, you're going to squeeze it. You know what? You know, hopefully it'll be like the world's ending, but I'm like 85 and I'm like, finally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't have any kids. You know what I mean? So I'll be like, well, that's why I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I don't give up hope yet. I don't give up hope as much as it's like throwing a solo cup of water on a wildfire. We did pass some significant, it looks like we haven't actually quite done it yet, but the signal is that we're going to have some climate control legislation here in the U.S. Yeah, we're just waiting on Sienna from Arizona, the last senator. If we could just get that, you know, maybe we can at least, at least only scrape the iceberg instead of like crashing headlong into it. You know what I mean? Well, I tell you what, before we get into any more dystopia, what are you watching or what are you reading in sci-fi? For the past couple of weeks, since we recorded last, actually, I rearranged the most recent draft of my novel and then printed it out. Mm-hmm. And then I've been sitting in my living room all day with a red pen, red felt tip, making notations on it. Mm-hmm. It is 338 pages printed and I'm at 275 page 275 right now in my red ink draft. And then I'm going to go through and enter all of those changes in the uh, digital copy and then um, really try to press the getting it published thing. My wife is basically like, look, man, you got to finish, finish all the way. Because <laughs> I keep being like, ah, I finished that draft. And she's like, yeah, that draft, <laughs> get it done. <laughs> she's been really kind of like urging me to finish it up. So I've been doing that. So I haven't had a lot of chance for like leisure reading, but we have been watching Stranger Things still. Mm-hmm. We only have two episodes left in season four now. We're almost almost caught up with the rest of the world. And the Robocop franchise. I watched all three movies in the past week. So <laughs> That's true, right? I did watch a lot of Robocop. You know what I want to do on the next episode? I want to do uh, Paper Girls because I just started watching that. And that is by far favorite Brian K. Vaughn, by far my favorite graphic novel. I okay. love Paper Girls. So you, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, though. I did. We did watch the uh, promotional featurette yeah. and it looks good. And, but I've never read the graphic novel either. So I guess I'd have to do a lot of catching up before we record it again. But it looks good. It looks interesting to me. Well, you could take the series. I, I could focus on the graphic novel. Graphic novel is amazing amazing so that would be definitely one we could put in the future i i'd feel a little weird about doing that one and then not doing why the last man or uh, we could do a brian k vaughn if you want yeah okay there's also saga yeah oh god i'm such a saga fan he's got quite a bit of like sci-fi style i'm a saga fanatic i haven't read a ton of saga that i've I've read some of it i'd like to do it but i'd like some time to catch up on his works before i dived into like an episode on him what about you what have you been up to dude just i just started paper girls i'm just finishing up uh that one book i was reading jennifer egan Mm. um Candy House, which is amazing. I'm really digging it. There was a, uh, well, I've been reading, I'm reading a great novel. It's not sci-fi, but it's called The Leopard. It's about Sicily, historical Sicily, and that's cool. really cool. Yeah. So, you know, I've been reading a lot. It's interesting to me how we really condition our brains to read because the more I'm reading, the more I want to read. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's like I'm like got four or five novels going at once, and I'm just like, oh, I love it. I can't get enough. Yeah, um, I've been uh, rereading the same thing over and over and over again. For me, it's like, uh, 
I wish I could just get my head out of this story, but I do, at the same time, I want to finish it up. You got to do it, yeah. I'd love to get back to leisure reading. It's nice. <laughs> I got halfway through a PK Dick book and my wife was like, don't just sit around reading, finish your thing and then sit around reading. And I was like, okay, you're, <laughs> right. you're, you're, you're not wrong. Plus, I, I'm always reading submissions to the magazines and everything all the time too. Oh so. my gosh, that's right. You are. You're always reading. I don't get a ton of downtime to just read. Most of my watching is, well, I, I watch episode of Star Trek every every weekday. Mm-hmm. I eat my lunch and watch Star Trek every day. I'm also most of the way through season three of Star Trek Voyager now as well. So I forget that because I've already seen most of Star Trek Voyager, but I am rewatching it again. Dude, I'm, I'm rewatching right now. I just started rewatching Star Trek OG. The um, original series? Yeah. Yeah. And I forgot. I haven't really watched it in a while. And I'm like, I don't even remember this episode. Dude, the good thing so about start the, the OG series is that you can watch the whole OG series way faster than most of the other ones because there's only like 65 episodes or something like that. Uh, you know, there are like 225 episodes of Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. I'm just like, God, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to get through. But. Dude, it's, it's crazy to me. Like the OG, you kind of forget how like almost literary and like really lofty and cerebral some of the ideas on there are. You're like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like he went big. Uh, I really dig that about it. Where I'm like, it's kind of Shakespearean and kind of, you know. We got to thank Lucille Ball. Right? Oh, every time I think about the original series, I'm just like, thanks, Lucy. I love you, Lucy. I know, <laughs> right? I know. It's so crazy. Anyways, let's jump into it. I'm going to give the lead in because I'm going to get real personal about RoboCop. Okay. okay. All right. Let's hear it. Just All right. That. To me, I've never been a fan of RoboCop. Okay. And the reason is, is because I think I really recoiled from the tone of RoboCop because it is completely the opposite of the tone of like Star Wars, of Star Trek. Right, yeah. Star yeah. Trek is like this utopian, like right. feel good. You, I could watch it every all the time. Everybody's you know happy. Of course, there's stress and drama, but RoboCop. I remember watching it and being like, I don't like that. And it was yeah. because it was so bleak. I was mm. only really rewatching it this week that I really kind of got the like black, 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 dark humor. Right. Of, and I watched the director's cut, which is so over the top gory. It was an X rating. Right. Yes. So I kind of, I kind of got it. And I was like, okay, I'm still not, it's not, I don't think it's, it's something that I would want to return to all the time, but because I didn't like the feeling, but I do now really get it. So I'm, now, now you go. <laughs> You're making the most important point when talking about RoboCop. RoboCop is presented in a sort of a straightforward way. And it takes you a while to realize, especially if you're a young person or whatever, just having watched it the first time or whatever, you take, it takes you a while to realize that it is a dark comedy and that it's a send-up of all of those bad systems that are sending us rocketing towards dystopia. It almost reads the first time you watch it as praise of those things. Like RoboCop is a judge, jury, and executioner. The cops at the time are judge, jury, and executioner. They just shoot the bad guys. I'll get into this further or whatever, but it's definitely a reaction to the way 
media had been going for a while, especially in film. There was a whole successful genre of movies that was like maniac cop. That is like unhinged vigilante cop. Yes. You know, it's the Punisher. Robocop fits sort of into that genre, but it also adds another element, which is superhuman. At what point is humanity involved and at what point is humanity not involved? I will say this. When I rewatched it this time, I was too young to understand that, that it was a send up. And I definitely, it was only on this watching that I thought the same thing where I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is like Dirty Harry. This is all those movies and they're like yes. making fun of. I was like, I get it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Tell us about RoboCop, man. RoboCop is a, like we said, a near future dystopia. It's the distant future, but it was made in 1988. So the year 2019 could be the year in question. They don't give a specific year in RoboCop, at least not one that I could find on my rewatch. Anyway, in the future, crime has gotten so bad that big corporations have purchased police forces. And in this universe, there is a corporation called OCP or Omni Consumer Products, and they actually own the Detroit Police Department. And Detroit is a nightmare. By the late 80s, Detroit had become a slum, for sure. And it continued that direction for quite a while. I think at this point, Detroit's sort of kind of making a turnaround. I don't want to, you know, speak out of turn because I don't know for sure. But... The idea here is that police has become privatized and the board of OCP is trying to gentrify basically the slum of Detroit and make a wealthy urban development there. But what they have to do first is get rid of the crime because with the crime rate being the way it is, they're not able to get a foothold in there and execute their plan to build this like rich skyscraper style neighborhood. So on this board, there are competing factions trying different things to make it happen. They're working the police force to death, very literally. The police are getting absolutely slaughtered every time they're sent out because, you know, they're underprepared. They're, they don't have the manpower necessary. In fact, the movie starts with the main character, Murphy, being sent from a suburban police force to downtown Detroit's police force to probably the worst crime-ridden part of Detroit and joining the police force there. And on their first day on the force, basically, he and his new partner find themselves completely outgunned with backup 20 minutes away and having to, like, deal with all of these armed gangsters, just the two of them. And just generally having poor firepower, having, you know, no good body armor. And, you know, one of the things they do is they use excessive force because, you know, they don't really have a choice because they're so hopelessly outgunned. So I, I don't I say they don't have a choice. I'm not trying to justify excessive force here. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just in the universe of this movie. And this whole setup is basically a danger of the libertarian future, where big business gets control over all the elements of society. Which, by the way, I just want to take a minute, and when I talk about libertarianism, I've had a couple of times since we started the show where people randomly reach out to us to call us idiots, tell us we don't know what we're talking about, tell us we don't understand the tenets of libertarianism. But I will say this, man, libertarians do get defensive about <laughs> their philosophy. I guess everybody does. So I'm not specifically picking on libertarianism, but libertarianism is a removal of government oversight. It's where the hand of the free market controls not just the market, but then society as a product of that. There is no government oversight in anything. So when I say libertarianism, that's what I'm saying. If you have some different definition, that's fine. You think how you want to think. I'm not going to try to control your thinking. But this movie is an attempt to explain what would happen in that, that situation. And it's very Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick does a lot of that kind of thing too. 
And we've talked about plenty of other media that have a similar feel and have a similar background. But this is definitely about the dangers of corporate overreach. Okay, let's go back and we'll do a little history of the movie before we get into the movie proper. So the movie was developed by a junior executive named Edward Neumeyer. And in the mid-80s, he saw the popularity of science fiction and really wanted to take advantage of that. And he also read a lot of mature comic books as well and thought, you know, why not use that world that's also growing, like 2000 AD and those kinds of comics. Wolverine, we did the Watchmen episode and we talked about anti-heroes and a rise of the anti-hero was taking place. And he thought, you know, he'd get behind that and start writing that type of story himself. So he came up with this idea. He wrote a script and it was originally titled Robocop, The Future of Law Enforcement. And it circled around and ended up being in the hands of Orion Pictures producers. And the Orion guys were like, okay, the guys who produced this movie had produced a lot of exploitation and B-movies. They made the movie Airplane. And they were kind of like in the comedy zone. So they kind of wanted to have some of that too. And they actually used, these producers actually showed Newmeyer, Dirty Harry, and Mad Max 2 as examples of the tone that he should go for Uh, when, uh, you know, revising the script for a second draft. To be honest with you, those are really, really good examples of the tone of how this movie turned out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Those two movies are really great precursors to RoboCop. If you watch all three of those movies in a row, you'll definitely get the same vibe from all of them, or at least overlapping vibes. Anyway, they eventually settled on a script, and then they, they hired Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven, who we've talked about numerous times on this podcast in the past, to direct the movie. And... Verhoeven wanted it to be more serious and less comic booky. He even had a different version of it where Murphy and his partner Lewis have an affair before the robocopping takes place. Verhoeven and Neumeyer finished the script together. And then after they finished, Verhoeven reread it and then was like, you know what? I'm wrong. Let's go back to the second draft, which had been influenced by 2000 AD and Mad Max and, uh... you know, and had that more bombastic over the top feel. Verhoeven wrote a script and then reread it against the script he was trying to replace and realized that he was wrong. You know, you know you're talking about somebody who's good at what they do if they're willing to put in a bunch of work, eight months of work writing a script, and then say to themselves, I'm wrong about this. And yeah, then for sure. Defer to the person who originally had the idea. That says a lot about Verhoeven, who I have a lot of respect for, by the way. I'm a big fan of Paul Verhoeven. I think he's one of the better voices in film, although he doesn't quite produce enough, in my opinion. I can definitely see, like, the Judge Dredd. You talk about 2080, and I could definitely, it feels you could really see where they were like, listen, these movies are making a tremendous amount of money. And that's how Hollywood is, right? Right. It's like if, if there's money to be made, if we can do something slightly different, then we can capitalize on this trend. And uh, But you could definitely see the Terminator and Blade Runner and all that influence. For Absolutely, sure. for sure. And, you know, they definitely wanted to make a movie in that vein. They definitely didn't have the budget. The budget for this movie is $13.7 million. I don't think 13.7 is a huge budget for a movie, even though this movie did end up looking pretty cool, especially for its awesome practical effects and everything. And like you said, crazy amounts of violence. Dude, I loved rewatching this. I loved the stop motion animation. I was oh, yeah. like, that is so cool. It's so like Empire Strikes Back with the ad ads. I loved it. I was going to say, I wish they'd make some more cool stop motion animation, but actually Phil Tippett, who most people know as the dinosaur wrangler in Jurassic Park. He's got an interesting, quirky credit in um, Jurassic Park, but he was one of the visual effects coordinators for RoboCop. And he just made a movie that was released like last year called Mad God. 
and it's a stop motion movie and it is i saw the trailer for it it looks crazy did you see it yet oh yeah yes i have it is super worth checking out it is a wild wow. trip dude it is a I total gotta trip watch it I gotta so watch you know it's cool it. that we were able to you know fit that in but yeah we'll get back to the special effects here in just a little bit but yeah so anyway they they put it into production they take a long time casting robocop himself and there were a bunch of really famous people who they wanted to be in this movie arnold schwarzenegger Rutger Hauer, Tom Berenger, Keith Carradine, all these people were considered for the role of RoboCop. And the studio, Orion, really wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger to be it because Orion also did The Terminator a few years before okay. this. So they were right. like, nah, we got to use Arnold again. You know, Arnold's, I mean, he's coming up. He's, he's the big deal right now, which is, of course, true. But basically, it was thought that he was so big and bulky that if they put the robotic armor on him, that he would look too big and bulky and it'd be hard for him to move around. Uh, they said yeah. that they, they thought he'd end up looking like the Michelin man. Yeah. So they basically nixed that idea. And then a bunch of other people who were considered for the role didn't want to take it because Robocop's face is covered for a pretty significant portion of the movie. Yeah. Just about the whole middle of the movie or so. Anyway, they end up landing on, I wouldn't say he's a famous actor or whatever, but you know, a pretty good working actor, Peter Weller. And Peter Weller had his own sort of cult following because he was in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Have you ever seen that one? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, and Buckaroo Banzai is a, is a wacky, fun sort of parody of space opera adventures. And if you guys haven't seen that one, it's worth a viewing for sure. It's, got a, it's, got, it's a lot of fun. But Verhoeven said that he hired Weller basically because he had a good chin. I guess the, the implication there was that acting wasn't really essential for this character, like being a great actor. <laughs> and the chin is what we're going to see most in the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it makes me think, though, another actor who would have made a perfect RoboCop would have been Bruce Campbell. It would have been maybe kind of sillier, but Bruce Campbell's really known for his chin. His biography is called If Chins Could Kill. Oh, I just put that together just now. But most people don't consider Bruce to be like the world's best actor or anything. I mean, I've got a special place in my heart for him, those <laughs> Evil Dead movies. So they put it all together, and then they hire the special effects team, because basically Verhoeven knows what he wants is for it to be so violent that it's funny. He wants it to be realistic violence, but he wants the violence to be a parody of itself. Yes. Genius. And it really does turn out to be sort of a genius movie. At least in mainstream film, it was sort of an unheard of thing. There had been movies, mostly animated movies, like Heavy Metal, for example, is yeah. a pretty good example of movies that had like ultra violence as a parody of violence. Yeah. But this is one of the first like kind of mainstream movies to attempt that. And, you know, Verhoeven does a really good job of that. He has a sort of a knack for that. I wanted to mention that Edward Neumeyer, the writer of it and the person who conceptualized this, along with another writer named Michael Miner, I don't want to completely leave him out. He and Verhoeven would work together years later on Starship Troopers, which had tons of the same themes. Tons ultra of the violence, same. yeah. Ultra violence and like a send up of fascism as it bleeds itself into our society. One of my favorite movies. I Absolutely. Love we definitely movie. we should do Starship Troopers as an episode because the book, we should definitely compare the book and the movie. That'd be great. We've talked about that before, but I'd definitely like to do it again. We could either do Heinlein or we could do uh, Starship Troopers, whichever one you want to, want to do. Because I love Stranger and Stranger in a Strange Land. And uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress deserves to be talked about. He's got a couple of others that are worth talking about as well. Okay, well, we could do both for sure. We can do Starship Troopers, the, whatever you want to do. We'll put that on the list. Anyway, the practical effects team he puts together is one of the greatest all the time. I mentioned Phil Tippett, 
But Rob Botton is the leader of it. And Rob Botton, we talked about him very extensively when we did the episode about The Thing, because he did all of the visual effects coordination for The Thing. And if you listen to that episode, there's a great story about how he hospitalizes himself due to exhaustion and other problems because he spent so much time working his ass off to bring the visual effects of the thing to life. So this movie has one of the all-time visual effects teams. I love the visual effects. It was just like the best practical, crazy stop motion plus all the gore. Oh my gosh. The director's cut was so worth watching. Yeah, definitely. I guess if you want to, definitely put that on your list. It definitely belongs. Because I think I, th- I think I read that they went through like five or six cuts just to bring it down to R. That it was, he struggled like mightily to bring this under. Yeah, under that's under one of the crazy. big stories of this movie is the clashing with uh, the censors. And this was at a time when censors had a lot of power. Yeah. Uh, had a whole lot of power. Yeah. In this era of film history, there was a lot of call to censor movies and to censor music. In 1988, like gangster rap had sort of started to appear. People were really worried about violence in music, violence in film. That's what Verhoeven wanted to do, is point out that you want to censor the violence in the movie, but in real life, it's just getting worse all the time. Yeah. And we're doing a lot to encourage that by allowing society to continue the way it does. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite lines in this movie is there's a really kind of a throwaway line at the board meeting for OCP. And something is said where the, the director of OCP is talking about how they've sort of changed the game in corporate earnings. And he's like, once considered to be non-profitable industries, OCP has been a trailblazer in private prisons in medicine and in space exploration. Jeez. Now we're, you know, in law enforcement as well. And he mentions all these things and I was like, are they like psychic? How in the world did they predict the future so well? It's crazy. Now, 34 years later, three decades later, those are considered to be mega profitable businesses for corporations. The, the pathetic and sad part of this is, Winston, is what they did was they were, I know exactly what they were thinking. They were so alarmed by what was happening with capitalism and the privatization of areas where private companies should have no profit at all, that they were like, well, let's just say what are the three most ridiculous things that will never come true. Right. They'll never privatize prisons. Right. They'll never privatize. And they have... They right. have, and the only thing we haven't is police, is the police force. Yet, that is true while we technically haven't privatized the police force. It's also very easy to look at the police and say that their main duty is to keep society stable so that corporate growth can continue. Absolutely. To maintain the status quo. So while they're not privatized yet, like you said, see, that's the thing. That's what libertarians want. And again, I'm picking on libertarians again, but that is what you're asking for. Like, if you're a libertarian and you, you, you're mad at me for saying that, what do you want? Don't you want that? Yeah. Isn't that what you're asking for? You don't want the government to do it. You want yeah. private business to do it. Yeah, that's what, that's what you want, right? And I'm not saying that as like a gotcha. I'm just asking, you know, in all earnestness, that is what you're suggesting, isn't it? You know what? When, I, uh, when people over in Europe ask me, like, because I get this question a lot, either in Italy or in England, where they're like, why are the police so violent? against their own citizens because we i don't see any of that over here i didn't see it in england and i didn't see it there but uh, or here in italy 
It just, uh, I don't even see them giving tickets. I've never seen anybody get a ticket in Italy or England ever. And yet the police, it's all they do is they harass fucking American citizens. And they ask me, um, you know, why is it like that? And I'm like, well, in America, you have to understand that the police were first established to track down slaves. And right. that's what right. the police force were first. to. And why did they do that? Because our whole economy was based on slavery yes. and plantations. And so yes. the police force was there to help the, the, the capitalism and make money. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's just continued. But it's not like that everywhere else. And it's crazy to me. When we talk about RoboCop, we're also talking about Judge Dredd. You know, one directly inspired the other. And they both have the same thing where the power to summarily enforce death sentences on suspected criminals is handed over completely to the cop. And the, the, the police can, at their will, kill people that they suspect of doing crimes. And the difference between Judge Dredd and RoboCop and Dirty Harry and some of the stories that came out before it is that Dirty Harry is serious. Dirty Harry is like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could just give the cops the power to just go kill criminals? Wouldn't that be a better system? Dirty Harry is not a parody. Dirty Harry is like, you know what? Sometimes a cop's got to be dirty if justice is going to prevail. You know what I mean? Because cops, are their hands are tied by bureaucracy. Having to read somebody their Miranda rights is a waste of time when you know that they did it. And that kind of attitude was an attitude that people had. And even though they call him Dirty Harry, Dirty Harry is the hero of the movie, without question. Like, yeah. And his way of doing things inspired a whole genre of movies in the 70s and early 80s. But that's what Judge Dredd is, taking that idea to the point where there is no judge. There is no court system at all. You know what I mean? And the same with Robocop. Robocop is just going to, dead or alive, you're coming with me. You know what I mean? He's just going to kill you. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame because that is what happens now. You know what I mean? Like if the cops decide you're dead, they're going to shoot you 60 times. If they saw you have a gun at some point, you know, and they decide, okay, that guy waved a gun at us, he's gone. And at least historically, facing almost no repercussions. That's not entirely true anymore. And I will say this. America has sort of awakened to the fact that it's not a good system. You know, it's, not, it's definitely not a system that can just continue going down this direction. Yeah, the, you could thank Steve Jobs for that with the cell phones. Because oh, well, yeah. if it wasn't for <laughs> yeah. cell phones, it wouldn't, nothing would have changed. It was only 10,000 videos showing cops killing and maiming and beating and it, it's only the advent of of you know home uh, you say that but i don't necessarily know that video evidence of it taking place changes as it definitely changes some of our minds no question but you know kent state in the 60s nonviolent protesters were gunned down by the national guard yeah and you know everybody knew it happened everybody knew that they were unarmed and peaceful protesters nothing changed in 1991 or two, 1992, Rodney King was filmed being beaten by police for like 10 minutes, completely unarmed, just laying on the ground while the officers took turns whipping his ass with sticks and nothing happened. I mean, there were riots, but was there any sort of like substantial change in the way the LAPD did things? No, no, no. not even close, except for people who took the video got turned into pariahs and harassed by the police. I think the only difference might be that they're just the avalanche 
of videos and not one or two, but 10. Yeah. When they, when it's just one at a time, when it's just one at a time, they can, you know, put up defenses. They could even occasionally, back then they would occasionally like offer up a sacrificial lamb, be like, Oh, we'll scapegoat this one officer. He's the problem. Yeah. It's a bad apple. It's not a systematic issue. It's not a systematic issue when we all know it's a a systematic issue. Everybody knows it's a systematic issue. And if you don't, I don't know what you've been watching. Like, I don't know how you're not paying attention. It's crazy. You know, it's, it happens all the time over and over again. And you know, it sucks. I don't know where the accountability is really going to eventually come from. Although it does help that Derek Chauvin, you know, he's, he's going to prison for life. Yeah. His accomplices who just stood there and watched him, they all went to prison. That woman cop who went into the wrong apartment and shot that man who was just sitting in his own apartment. She went to prison. Sending cops to prison will help. Yeah, I think so so too. I think so too. There's still so many examples of egregious police action taking place and, you know, nothing coming of it. Yeah. So what was the reaction, you know, to RoboCop? I know that the box office was really strong. It was strong. It wasn't like a gigantic box office. It made like 55 million bucks. Not a huge, huge success. But against a budget of 13 million bucks, that's not bad. I mean, if a studio could make 55 million on a 13 million dollar budget, they'd do that same thing every day. Yeah. You know, like if they oh, could, yeah. if they could guarantee that, they'd be like, sweet, you know, that's 40 million dollars. Let's definitely make that money. Yeah. The reception was strong. You know, and people thought it was a good movie. I do think a lot of people didn't get it. I think there was a lot of that. Some people saw the social satire of it. Some other people kind of took it seriously. It was called like sicko sadist. A lot of people did take it at face value and didn't really see it as what it was, which is a send up of all of these things. And I, you know, you said that you hadn't seen it in a long time and that you kind of had thought about it that way the first time through. And, you know, I think that was a pretty normal thing for people to think. And there was also this other thing that happened too, is that it was created for this purpose. Verhoeven had this idea for it. And although he didn't write the script, he wanted to send these messages with it. And then it got co-opted really badly. Not... A year after this came out, there was a children's RoboCop cartoon. Oh, yeah. I myself had RoboCop toys when I was a child, when I was like seven and eight years old. <laughs> and of course, not having seen RoboCop, I you know watched the RoboCop show. And on the RoboCop show, RoboCop is not a ruthless killer. You know, he doesn't just shoot everybody. It's different. It's for children. And so I thought, oh, RoboCop's, a, you know, he's awesome. He's a hero. RoboCop. For children, is that not a paradox? That's capitalism co-oping its own parody. Its own parody of itself. It's so meta. It's crazy. Yeah, it's extremely meta. And I thought RoboCop was a hero. Now, after having seen all of it and ingested all this and have, you know, growing up being my age and having lived through the 90s and 2000s and 2010s and now into the 2020s and seeing the problem with excessive force by the police and overreach by the police... I now see the character of Murphy as a victim. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Now, at the end of all of this, Murphy wants to be a good cop, but gets turned into a killing machine in a very literal sense. His humanity is stripped away, and all he does is just enforce the law and kill in order to enforce the law. He has a family, a wife and child, and can't remember them. It's all very tragic. I think that's sort of the idea that Verhoeven and Neumeyer were going for was when you become a police officer and you put yourself into that system, you do sacrifice your humanity to do that, at least in a sense. Yeah. And, okay, I'm not an all cops or bastards kind of guy. That's not really my, my way of thinking. I do think the police as a concept in the United States is way off. 
the whole culture needs to be shaken up from the top down because it has been my personal experience that a lot of people who become police officers are the kind of people who just want to wield power over other people. That's not true of every person who becomes a police officer. You know, I grew up with the image of Andy Griffith from the Andy Griffith show, Andy Taylor. And uh, he, he was a cop in a small town, but he didn't even carry a gun. He didn't have a gun at all and did, never used force for any reason. I think he might have punched somebody once or twice in the many episodes of that show I watched, but had no interest in wielding power over anyone. And that was when that was made way back in the 1950s when the police had you know, crime was really low. They were able to project a softer image. But as society breaks down and the crime rate rises, the police feel like in order to meet the criminals head on, they have to increase their firepower. They have to become militarized. And, you know, I guess on the one hand, I can understand where they're coming from. But on the other hand, we've been introduced to all of these new concepts, social workers being sent out instead of the police, ending the war on drugs. That's another thing is in RoboCop 2. The big thing is nuke, the drug nuke. You know, that's, that's what he's going after is drug culture. And the police attacking drug users is what creates the drug war. You know, if it's just people doing drugs, yeah, you do have some breakdown in society. I live in downtown Denver and I see people strung out on all sorts of crap on my street level every single day. You know what I mean? And it's not the most pleasant thing in the world, but they're not being violent. You know, for the most part. It's not a criminal issue. It's a mental health issue. It's a mental health issue. Yeah. Once the crime rate started to go up, instead of the police being like, let's figure out what's causing this and address that. Dude. What they did instead was, let's meet that level of force with a higher level of force. It's, again, slave plantation, you know, rounding up. And that's the way they treat you know, nor, dude, we have the highest incarceration rate in the world. We have the highest incarceration rate in recorded history. That's insane. Like, there has never been a place in all of human history that incarcerates a larger percentage of their citizenship. Than That's what we're saying when it's like there's a systematic problem. Yeah. That's systematic. Yeah. It's not individuals. It's the system. It's buck. So and a lot of people who say that all cops are bastards, the ACAP thing, what they're saying is all cops are bastards because... The system is inherently broken. So to participate in the system, to actively participate in the system, you are aiding an inherently broken system and therefore are a bad player. What's crazy about this, what just blows my mind, Winston, is that, so here we are, this is what RoboCop, which is taking a super serious, hardcore issue, right? And just going ultra violent with it to parody it mixing in some sci-fi and it becomes this cultural phenomenon with not not even mm-hmm. one animated series not just a, a sequel there have been many many movies there's been two animated series mm-hmm. i just read the frank mm-hmm. miller frank miller there's been in forever i think a comic series right well i just read the frank frank miller yeah frank miller also wrote the screenplay for robocop ah, 3 i didn't know well. that okay and RoboCop 2 and 3 are both, okay, they have really poor reviews, but they're both watchable movies. Yeah. I didn't see 3, but it had like a 5% yeah, or yeah. something on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, they're not, they're not critically acclaimed <laughs> oh films. God. Even RoboCop itself is not a critically acclaimed movie, you know? Yeah. But it's definitely a movie that I feel like because violence has had already by 1988 become fetishized, I guess is the word I'd use, 
that people, despite making it as over the top violent as he could, people still didn't get that it was ironic. You know, and it's very similar to Tarantino. Yeah. You know, very Tarantino for the day. Yes. You know, let's say Tarantino probably loved Robocop, you know. Besides that, his movies also often parody fascism. Absolutely. Yeah. And excessive force. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it would not surprise me to learn that at all. This movie, I think, is a, a touchstone in a lot of ways because it is also one of the first movies that really, even though a lot of people didn't get it, that really kind of like bad mouthed the police. And the direction that the police were headed in our society. Being manipulated and used as a weapon by the head of a corporation. And that's exactly what's happening in RoboCop. No matter how good Murphy's intentions were, Murphy is used as a tool to exercise the will of shareholders in order to produce best returns on uh, their stockholds. No, that's why they have like those commercials in between, yes. like the segments. I'm really glad you brought that up because that those are one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, I love that. They have, so they have like these commercials. They're really parodies of like commercials you would see on TV. And we keep flashing in the original between like news television shows, like what became Fox News and these over the top crazy commercials. So there's like this mixed media element. I love that, man. I thought it was really on rewatch. I was like, this is genius, man. It's really smart. Really helps tie the room together and creates an atmosphere in a way that few movies had done to that point. And you see movies after this that kind of do a lot of that in the future. Really, in the end, this movie is a condemnation of Reagan's America. How many times do we end up going back and being like, man, Ronald Reagan really fucked our country up. Oh, yeah. And we, we talk about it so often, but the neoliberal, like liberal fascism and I don't want to be too confusing to people or whatever, but I just want to say liberal does not automatically mean leftist. I just want to make sure that you understand that there's a distinction. It's not like left and right equal conservative and liberal. Those are not synonymous terms. I consider myself sort of a leftist, but I don't consider myself to be a liberal. Although I do have liberal ideas, but it's a different definition of the word. But neoliberalism is basically what Ronald Reagan championed, but in the real world, that's sort of, it's, it's a right-wing concept. Ronald Reagan is a very right-wing president, and he ushered in a very right-wing, very corporate-friendly structure. If you think about it, uh, as we're talking about it, I would say, you know what movie this really reminds me of that I could see di- almost directly influencing it, or it influencing, is Natural Born Killers. Which, going back to Tarantino, yes. you know, you've got the same type of news, out, outlandish news uh, uh, reporting. You've got um, these mixed medias. You've got this ultraviolence. And you've got this condemnation of Reagan's America. They're yeah. so similar, right? It's really funny you said that because that movie actually does have all those kind of commercial breaks. Yes. Oliver Stone directed that one, but it was written by Quentin Tarantino, if I'm not mistaken. It was, yeah. But yeah, it also has those sections that I don't know if they're commercials, but it's just like stuff that's on TV. Yeah. And I think that's a really excellent parallel. I hadn't considered that, but absolutely an excellent parallel. Peter Weller, who played RoboCop, he called RoboCop the evolution of the straight-laced heroes of the 1940s, like Gary Cooper and Jimmy Stewart, who lived life honorably, with modern audiences now cheering a maimed police officer who takes brutal revenge. And revenge had become like, even now, like it's still like very much a part of our like shared psyche now where revenge is now like an honorable motivation, even for the police, yeah, for any character. 
whatever they do, if they do it for the sake of revenge, it becomes like a... Uh, They're justified. I mean, it's... Yeah, it, becomes, it, becomes, it becomes justified. And there's a ton of movies like that. That's a huge genre right now. Yeah. I think another thing I'd like to touch on about this movie is that it definitely talks about what it means to be a human. And that's definitely one of our main themes on this show. And in science fiction as a genre is what does it mean to be a human being? And one of the big questions in the movie is what is left of Murphy after he is robocopped? If you've never seen this movie, very short synopsis is Murphy transfers to the big city is brutally shot and very, very nearly killed. In fact, is killed in the line of duty. His body is completely destroyed, but they use his central nervous system as the key component for RoboCop so that it's not just a machine. It's a machine, but with a human nervous system and brain. So it's able to use human intuition. But how human Murphy remains after he becomes RoboCop is really hard to suss out. They don't really like give you like a... Uh, full-on explanation of how human he is. He talks about how he knows that he once had a family. He says he doesn't remember his family. I guess the one clue is at the very end of the movie, somebody asks him his name and he says, Murphy. That's the last line of the movie. As if he reclaimed his hero, you know, journey was reclaiming at least a little bit of his humanity, right? Right, but but how true is that? Even if he says that, how, how much is it that he just wants to be that? And there's also another thing that another theme of this movie. There's a lot of uh, Christ parallel in this. Paul Verhoeven is uh, an outspoken biblical historian. Oh wow! He's a prominent atheist thinker, but he uh, is extremely knowledgeable about the life of Jesus Christ and the times surrounding it and the writing of all of the Gospels. He has books and movies about this subject. That's like his main area of interest. And he used Murphy's brutal death to kind of parallel Jesus being crucified and then you know being resurrected. Oh, wow. That's heavy. I'm always hesitant to bring that parallel in, but I, I, it's really important to Verhoeven, so I think it's necessary of for us course. to mention. I mean, he's a director. It's his, his story. I get so tired of biblical stuff being inserted into art. I'm just so bored with it. And this is not me just hating religion. This is just me being like, okay. I mean, dude, how about The Matrix? I mean, The Matrix was... I know. It's just for me, I'm just like, I get it. Ugh. I get it. We don't have to do the literally the same story every single time. Again and again. Again and again and again and again and again. But, you know, especially for in the time that he grew up, religion was sort of like unquestioned. Yeah. And then, you know, he was very much a um, iconoclast having these views. But I grew up in a time where everything wasn't religious and, you know, thinking outside of religion was permissible. So I personally just been like, I don't care. I don't think all of the media I take in has to be compared to or thought of critically against the backdrop of Western religion. Personally, I just like, I think we should think beyond that. But yeah, you know what I came away from? I watched um, a couple days ago, I watched the brand new one, the, the, mm-hmm. the remake 2014 with Joel Kendall. Yes. And I got to tell you, man, the first movie freaked me out. The second movie just made, I, I was so nauseous with the idea of like, what it really is, is it, it hit me that this is also a remake of Frankenstein. Oh, yes. Right? Oh, yes. And so oh, yes. you die, which is the original sci-fi ever story, right? Right. And, well, one of them. And, 
One of them, yeah. So, so you die and all of a sudden against your will, which goes back to what you were saying about being a victim, you are resurrected. Like you wake up and you're, it's not like you're like feeling great and everything. You are trapped in this machine, right? What does it mean to right. be human? Are you human anymore? And you're trapped into me. I was like, oh my God, this is a, this is hell. Without question on earth, this is hell right here. To wake up and all of a sudden, this is who you are. You can't remember. I mean, yeah, you feel pity for this guy. Yeah. Right? It is horrific what they have done to him. On this most recent watch, that's definitely where I landed. After ha having many different opinions about him, including just me not liking the character and thinking the character was just a cop who liked that sort of lifestyle. Like, because he goes in gun bl guns blazing, you know what I mean? He's shooting people to death, yeah. like right at the beginning, like everybody else. But... That aside, he is. He is definitely made a victim in this story. And you're right. It's very much a parallel of Frankenstein, without question. Ooh. And it goes to show you, Frankenstein as a story, it really goes to show you like its incredible, incredible influence. Obviously, Frankenstein is also inspired by Christ you know, dying and coming back to life. But it sort of like flips that idea on its head because Christ comes back intentionally. You know, that's the game plan. But that's not true. Inglorious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I and mean, it sort of flips that concept on its head for sure. Yeah. Dude, there's a scene in the new one, man, where they reveal, they take off all the armor and he, spo spoiler, yeah. it's like his head and brain and lungs and that's it. And the lungs are beating and the and breathing in and out. I was like, dude, this is awful. This is just awful. One of the reasons I like the remake is because a lot of times with remakes, they try to like subvert the message of the original. But it very, even though the remake wasn't fantastic or anything, it did double down on the message of the original. It really was like corporations are getting too much control. Look what's going to happen. And, you know, it's a little less effective because by the time that movie was made, it basically had already happened. Not to mention the fact that they changed out RoboCop's uniform to now look like Batman. Right. So yeah. they were like, hey, we're going to be Christopher Nolan, Batman. They're making a bunch of money. Dude, the suit looks exactly like Batman. What the fuck? I mean, you, you got to talk to the artistic director of that movie. What, I, <laughs> I hadn't mentioned it yet in this like episode because it, it seemed like a really unnecessary remake to me. That's sort of where I landed with that. It just, I mean, I'm not saying it's terrible. It's not terrible, actually. It's all right. It's not. It's right. No, it's not. It's all right, but it's just unnecessary, man. It doesn't really have much soul. No. You know, although, like I said, at least, at very least, the one thing I will give it is that it does reinforce the ideas of the original. It was a good one, man. I'm glad we went back and revisited because I gained a new appreciation for it. Um, I, I also was blown away by... And I think it was right that we did a, ser a show on it because it's another behemoth. I mean, this thing is a juggernaut. There are so many RoboCops. Yes. They've been putting out merchandise from comics to everything else for years now. It's crazy. 34 years. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's been continued. It's been without stop. Like, they've been, there's been a RoboCop comic in print, video games. You know, crossovers, RoboCop versus Terminator, RoboCop meets the aliens, you know, like they, they keep putting all of those together, you know, like mashing them up and RoboCop stays a thing. And also, Newmeyer has another RoboCop movie in development now. Oh my gosh. Why, why not? 
why not cash in, man? At this point, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing it. Overall, I would say, I think this movie is certainly worth watching. If you're able to get a copy of the director's cut, that's what you should watch. What Verhoeven was trying to do was make shocking violence a parody of itself, and it succeeds a lot more when it's not so censored. So that's one thing I'd recommend. Definitely has some really cool visual effects that, you know, if you're less than 20 years old, they might look campy to you. I won't, I won't lie. There's some green screening happening that doesn't always, you know, mesh perfectly. But overall, I think the visual effects are really cool. Um, especially the way RoboCop looks once he takes his helmet off later in the movie. It's really rad looking. Yeah, so cool. And it's a good historical, you know, if you want to, again, just kind of understand history. Yes. This was, you know, a, a historical freaking statement on the on what was happening in the 80s. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. You're totally right about that. But it also, um, like we always say, science fiction lore is a quilt. And the more of these pieces that you see and together, the more full your quilt becomes. Yeah. If you've never seen it, it's good to see just to kind of like get a more comprehensive understanding of the genre and its social commentary, the, the genre itself's social commentary. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, this was a fun one. This was a fun one. Yeah, totally. I'm glad we did it, man. I'm really glad we didn't spend the whole episode just bad-mouthing the police. I think we tried to be pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty balanced about that. Yeah. You know, the instinct, sure. the instinct is to be like, fucking cops. But, you know, you know. Yeah. You try, try to look at them as human beings, too. We still want to know what we're going to do next. You had a good idea earlier in the episode, but now I've forgotten what it was. I was talking about Paper Girls. Paper Girls. Okay, well. Paper Girls or, or Starship Troopers. Well, we just did a Verhoeven episode, so let's think on it a little bit. I, I like the idea of Paper Girls, but I haven't seen any of it. So let me, let's punt on that one, I think. But we'll come up with okay. something and then definitely do Paper Girls a little further down the line. That would be perfect. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in again. It's always awesome getting to talk to you, Nick, obviously. This is one we kind of thought we should do for quite a while now. Yes. Looking forward to the next one. Until next one, adios. Peace. All right, brother. Thanks, man. Late. Guys, if you're enjoying the Infinite Worlds podcast, you could definitely check out more Infinite Worlds-related stuff by visiting our website, infiniteworldsmagazine.com. There you can subscribe to Infinite Worlds magazine. It's a full-color, ad-free science fiction magazine featuring stories, comics, and illustrations from creators all over the world. You can also sign up to our mailing list. You can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IWSciFiMag. Also, you can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker and our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonso. Andrew Alonso.